I'm Brandon Bartnick, and this is the Future of Mobility podcast. Safe, sustainable, and equitable mobility solutions. That's what this is all about. With the climate situation as it is right now, plus many other factors, it's never been more important for us to continue to improve the sustainability of the way that we're moving goods and people. At the same time, we need to improve safety for drivers and pedestrians, and we need to get these solutions in the hands of the people who need them need them most. So that's what I cover. Primarily interviews, I'm talking to the people who are developing and implementing, covering these technology solutions. Also, my day job, this podcast is brought to you by FEV. FEV is your complete vehicle engineering partner for sustainable energy and mobility solutions. We're the engineering technology partner behind a lot of what you see on the road and elsewhere. Shoot me a note if you want to learn more. Check out FEV.com. Check it out. Check us out on LinkedIn. Today's guest is Ryan Duffy. Ryan started Emerging Tech Brew two years ago as part of the Morning Brew Umbrella and is an Emerging Tech Brew writer. This is the second time coming on the podcast, episode 24. If you haven't listened, I strongly recommend you check it out. But it was a real pleasure talking with Ryan, and I hope that that comes through in the the conversation here. So first of all, one of the main takeaways I had from this conversation was reflecting on uh, there's something stark, and I don't really know how to make it tangible or quantify, but there's something stark in the way he's approaching a lot of these emerging tech topics. I think it's very similar to the way I'm approaching it on, on the Future Mobility podcast. So the the reason I part of the reason I started this podcast about a year and a half ago now is because I I wanted to make an impact in safe, sustainable mobility. I realized it's a super complicated topic with a bunch of uh, I don't know biases and um, different incentives on others on different sides to to pull push in in different ways. So part of the the reason objective here is to dig deep where I need to try to cut through the noise and figure out okay what what does it actually mean to pursue safe, sustainable mobility? And Ryan, his team, Emerging Tech Brew, in, in my mind, reading into it, yeah, I've, I've, three times a week the newsletter comes out. If, if you if you aren't subscribed, I, I highly recommend it. But the uh, they, they seem to, or at least to me, it feels like they take a similar approach in that Ryan talks about, yeah, he from a media perspective, he certainly doesn't need to go <laughs> nearly as deep as, as he does in some of these topics. But he, he and the team go super deep in, in certain places get a build a strong foundation and then present a from what i can see the non-biased very clearly written informative pieces on these different emerging technologies so the the conversation today given the the nature of this podcast primarily focused on vehicles so automated and electrified vehicles and we were able to get deep talk about ryan had this super experience about a month ago um, a little over a month ago uh, where he was able to experience the Waymo One autonomous driving and talk about his experience. We also covered some other areas there. Talked about the current state of electrified driving, the, uh, just said from the, the Biden administration, the announcement of infrastructure bill and uh, executive order for getting more electrified vehicles on the road. And then at the end, we were able to riff a bit and talk about kind of other areas that are exciting us. Uh, I think this is the longest podcast I've recorded what, over an hour here in you probably hear at the end we could we could have talked for five hours and not cover everything that we wanted to um but yeah i i hope you enjoy really fun discussion um shoot me a note if if you have feedback i think these types of kind of broad reaching discussions are really fun to have on some uh every month every quarter or whatever so so shoot me a note if you if you think you'd like to see more of these but for now please enjoy my conversation with ryan duffy Today, I'm joined by Ryan Duffy for a uh, round two discussion here. Ryan, thanks for coming on. Thanks for having me back. Yeah, and for uh, I, I like to be transparent here. So unfortunately, we, we recorded the essentially same type of discussion yesterday, um, and then I had a, a computer issue. So this is the second time we're recording round two. And I, I think, uh, yeah, it, it, should, it should be fun, actually. I'm hoping that we're able to expand on some of these topics even further than we, than we did yesterday. But looking forward to talking, I guess, again. Yeah, yesterday, in the grand scheme of things, it was just a dry run. So we're, we're super well rehearsed and ready to go today. Yeah, so, so for anyone who doesn't know, if we have Ryan, uh, editor leads Emerging Tech Brew as part of Morning Brew. We were on for episode 24 of the Future Mobility podcast last November. We had a nice discussion. If you haven't listened to that, I recommend you check it out. And uh, yeah, really looking forward to today. We'll be diving into a couple, couple of areas, including autonomous um, electric vehicles and, and other areas, which, which should be a lot of fun. So before, it. yeah, before we go too deep, I wanted to to point out uh, as well as kind of cool. So the, the latest and greatest, at least that I've seen on emerging tech brew is you guys 
recently wanted to call out again the uh, 300,000 subscriber list that you just you just cleared this week, which just to put in context that the scale for a, a newsletter media company is pretty, pretty significant. So just wanted to acknowledge you for that. I appreciate that. Yes, we as of Wednesday, uh, the fourth, we're recording this on Friday, the sixth. But yeah, for uh, Wednesday, the fourth, we passed 300,000 subscribers. And it's been about two and a half years, give or take. It's just super, we're, 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 we're continuously blown away by how much of an appetite and how much demand there is for this type of coverage. So uh, I think that that's exciting for the future. And, you know, obviously it, it's, it's, it's very inspiring for us. Yeah. One of the, one of the cool things, which I don't know, maybe not, not obvious, but so, so my, my day job, I'm, I'm business development and, and marketing for a company FEV who provides engineering services in the, the mobility and energy space which sounds very different from what you do on the, on the media side. But I, I think as we, and, and there are plenty of differences, differences in kind of day-to-day and practicality, but it's, uh, I think there's more similarity in the, the types of things we're trying to think about and, and how we're thinking about it than there might be on the surface, which I think is, is kind of cool. So, yeah, yeah, certainly. Uh, I think that that there, it's it's similar in a lot of ways, and one commonality that stands out to me is just this concept of distilling, you know, com- complex, very complex, dense technological concepts, business models, what have you, in an accessible way. And for us, it's a little bit more of a general audience, but we still exist within, you know, the the niche. The broadly defined niche, that's kind of an oxymoron, but let's go with it. But, you know, it's within the, war- the universe of emerging tech and it, it is a larger audience, but I think that there are a lot of commonalities and, and parallels between, you know, what, what, what someone like yourself is doing and what we're trying to do with emerging tech bro. Yeah. How do you think about, uh, or at least the latest, I don't know, maybe this is iterative, but as of now, how do you think about kind of the, what you're doing or why you're doing it, kind of the, the purpose of emerging tech brew? So when we launched the, uh, the emerging kind of descriptor was really important because I think that the tech media space broadly defined is pretty, it was pretty saturated. It is pretty saturated. It's only going to become, that's only going to become, you know, more, more true, but we decided from the outset before we launched that we were going to focus specifically on kind of the more frontier deep tech side of things. And it is a differentiator, but you also, I think one of the key metrics for me to just assess, you know, the zeitgeist and how much of an appetite there is for, for this kind of coverage and analysis. One, one metric is obviously our subscriber list and we already covered that, but the other one is how frequently morning brew, the daily brew is covering the same things as us. And so we try to, you know, we obviously try to ensure, we try to deconflict and ensure that there's no overlap between the two newsletters because there is a, a large proportion, I think 75% of emerging tech brews also reading the morning brew. So we don't want to be wasting their time and repeating the same things, but you find that happening more and more, especially this year with all of the changes and last year, all the changes brought about by the pandemic and I mean, even in the like past couple of weeks, there's been EVs, like metaverse, all that stuff. So there, there's a lot of overlap, but, but yeah, I mean, we, we just try to, we're, we're, we're moving more toward an original model of kind of reporting and playing rather than chasing news cycles. So that it's, it's, it's becoming easy for us, easier for us to, to do that, to handle that sort of deconfliction that I was referencing. Yeah. How, how do you... So the word emerging, how, how do you define that? Because I so take something like electric vehicles, right? It's, they've been around for a long time as over the next few years, there's going to be more and more of them on the road. How, how do you find, how do you determine when that's no longer emerging technology or, or at least like what aspects of that are still emerging? That's a good question. So I have a personal kind of technical like definition doc. I, I'm not going to read that out, but Basically, I think that the heuristic that I would use is that, you know, so there's a, there's a 
broad kind of basket. And it's AI, ML, it's basically, you know, all the, all the buzzword acronyms, AI, ML, AR, VR, EVs, uh, autonomous, automated vehicles, 3D printing, drones, robotics, cryptocurrency, blockchain. So it's pretty broad, right? But we, we really try to be pretty militant about sticking to that, that basket. And to your point of defining it, I think it is a little bit more that uh, an art than a science. We don't have a rigid methodology. But just to walk you through an example, I would say machine learning and AI are, are a great example because those are not new concepts. It's been around since at least as an idea and with smart people trying, you know, to, to, to build it out. It's, it's existed since the, the, the 1950s, but we've seen a lot of breakthroughs over the past 15 years in terms of parameters and capabilities and benchmarks and beating, you know, achieving superhuman performance in a narrow domain. And so I think that that's how we try to think about things. And you're seeing just, you know, rapid levels of adoption, not only from sort of digital native companies and AI first companies in Silicon Valley, but across the spectrum. So that's how we try to think about it. But yeah, it, it involves basically rates of progress, commercialization, kind of moving from the basic uh, to applied research, the productization stage, uh, adoption. There, there are a lot of criteria that we, we consider, but that being said, you know, every day before a newsletter, we're not sitting out and we're not sitting there pulling out this test, but it's yeah. just kind of a, you build like intuition over time. Right. Right. Yeah. But so how, uh, like, I mean, something like AI machine learning. So that I think the, the fundamentals themselves are, are interesting, like how, how this works, but then, and I think maybe that something we'll, we'll jump to pretty soon is an interesting idea, like the application of this in a domain such as autonomous driving, where it's, so yeah, you, you have these underlying principles. This is how the tech works. This is how the, it's coded in and how the, the learning process works. But then for the most users, they don't really see it until it's in an application such as autonomous driving and it's making decisions through this, this process. So I, I don't know, how, how do you think about that and the, the balance between covering kind of fundamentals versus applications? Yeah, so we are operating in a resource constrained environment because all of these technologies in that basket that I just mentioned, you could go super deep and just specialize in any of them and, you know, really, really, really build out expertise in, in, in any of them. And to do that at, you know, a certain level of becoming top 0.01% uh, just expertise in, in, in the technology it would, it would take a long time. And so we obviously, I try to just prioritize one, what we're covering most and really going beyond, you know, learning about that, reading white papers, reading technical specifications, market research, all that stuff. But I prioritize it based on the more sort of foundational technologies and where there could be spillover effects. So when we sort of branched out from just being a newsletter to a media franchise, which is now what we're calling ourselves, the first step of that was launching these long form evergreen guides on the website. They're distributed through our newsletters, marketed through the newsletters, but they live on, on web and they're fundamentally, fundamentally different than a newsletter. Mm -hmm. And if you look at the first ones that we started with 5G, that was somewhat a function of the timing and it really becoming hyped up by the industry, overly hyped up, I would say, but it also helped me kind of understand the infrastructure layer of everything and just really hone those chops and, 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 and build out, you know, just build out proficiency and all of that. But the next one was, was even bigger. It was, it was AI. And that was just a, you know, gargantuan undertaking. And, but I would say that for me, kind of as, as a writer, and someone who follows all of this, that had so many secondary spillover benefits because it overlaps with all of these other categories. The best example, most kind of real world manifestation is probably 
autonomous vehicles, uh, you know, obviously, but also ro- robotics and drones mm-hmm. and all the way to consumer, smart home, wearables, voice assistants, all that. So that's, I mean, that's a, it's not necessarily two birds, one stone, but it helped, it helped me a lot in terms of just, you know, managing, like I said, like time and doing, doing, doing all this with sort of limited capacity and bandwidth. Yeah. And it, it certainly, it sets the fundamentals. So I think some, I mean, we can talk about autonomous, autonomous driving, but, uh, something like an unprotected left turn, right. Where you're, we're coming up for an intersection and there's, uh, a, there's people you have to cross traffic to, to make the left turn. Uh, that's, and, and correct me if I'm wrong in, in your understanding, but from my understanding, that's, you're, you're not going to be able to code that as a, a role-based system where you're, you're, ju- you're making learning decisions. Like you need to have some form of artificial intelligence, however you want to define that where you're, you're picking up on experience and not saying, Hey, if this car inches up at this speed and the driver is looking in this direction, the odds of them going forward are, et cetera. Like the, there are certain applications where you, you need to understand how autonomous or uh, artificial intelligence and machine learning works to actually understand what's going on in these vehicles. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think that's a good example. I, I, you know, I would, I would, I would think that there's some rule-based element to it, but a lot of, a lot of that is just going to have to come from testing and, you know, gathering data, uh, finding patterns and, and, and actually like training a model to, to learn how to deal with, you know, the various parts, whether it's pulling out into the intersection, reading the light, you know, seeing this, calculating the speed at which oncoming traffic is, is coming calculating whether you can safely shoot that gap. You know, it, that's, that's a really difficult maneuver for humans. It's a dangerous, it's probably one of the most dangerous kind of driving situations to be in for, for human drivers. Yeah. And, and it's not, so, so first of all, I, I would agree with you. It's not an either or type thing of uh, AI mm-hmm. versus rules-based. It's, it's an and situation. Uh, and yeah, that's, that's one good obvious example. And it, it's, it's one of many to like, uh, I don't know, anytime you're at a four-way stop, there's, there's a similar or pedestrians are at play. There's bikes moving around. You're in a city. Like there's these types of situations are kind of rampant in the, uh, autonomous driving space. Yeah. Yeah. It's, yeah. I mean, it's, it's, it's fascinating. Uh, it's obviously a, a massive, massive, massive challenge. And I, you know, I think when we, when we spoke, six, eight months ago. I'm not sure when exactly the date was, but I I had just reviewing our kind of predictions and prognostications. I had thought that the acceleration of a lot of the automated autonomous tech technologies from, from what we're talking about, but also just kind of drones and robotics. I, I think I overstated how, how quickly and on, you know, the scale that on which it would happen. And do you, do you have any thoughts of kind of what the, the main factors are that have changed that have uh, made that happen or have slowed things down? I think there are a lot of variables at play. One is just the sheer complexity of everything. Two is the cost. Three is just the, the, the regulatory environment. Four is... The business model, you know, if you're going to try and take Waymo's approach or, you know, a lot of others are taking the approach but because Waymo has actually launched level four robo taxi service in the real world and they're accepting payments for it. That's who I'm going to just name as an example. Mm-hmm. There's just so it's, it's very, it's still very expensive. Like the overhead is, is crazy. They've had, they've raised billions and billions of dollars over these past couple of years. So it's very difficult. And yeah, I mean, that seems like a cop-out, but that just can't be, can't be understated. Yeah. And I mean, and you have to make predictions of how there's all these different variables and you have to make predictions of how they're going to converge and resolve themselves. And I think, so when when we did last talk in in 2020, late 2020, it was, uh, I think it was easy enough to put on a lens to think, Hey, vaccines coming, maybe COVID just goes away. Supply chain issues go away in the summer of 2021. And I, I think that's, that's also an element that I, most people are, I realize like 
yeah, I think you, you said that like the, the chip shortage, no one yeah. predicted, um, or at least most, most people, unless you're Toyota, you didn't, you didn't predict yeah. that coming. Yeah. 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 So I, I, I pointed that in, out in our uh, recording yesterday, but I'm just going to repeat it. That's the, I think that's the biggest, you know, not technically a black swan because it was foreseeable, but that's the biggest kind of just crazy outlier event that, and we knew when we last spoke and we were m- more so in the throes of the pandemic in the sense that there wasn't a vaccine and everything. And there was just a lot more uncertainty, even though there's plenty of uncertainty now with Delta, but that was just the, and there were supply chain challenges. Then there was tons of, tons of upheaval with all of that. But I think, yeah, I mean, the semi- semiconductor sh- shortage, especially as it pertains to the automotive sector, that was just something massive that I didn't even have on my radar at the time. Yeah. Yeah. So let's talk uh, autonomous driving a, a bit further. So you mentioned Waymo and I think it'd be worth hearing your experience. So yeah, you had a really cool experience a couple months ago. Can you, can you talk about what you did and, and what that, I guess your, your main takeaways? Yeah. So about just over a month ago, right before July 4th, I went to Phoenix for two days to ride around in Waymos and they have a service that's open to the general public. Anyone that's in the 50 square mile or so service area and that kind of spans like Chandler and Tempe, anyone with an Android or an iPhone can download the app and they can call a Waymo on the, it's called the the service is called Waymo one. And with, with some caveats, you know, extenuating or, or sorry, uh, extreme weather, the, the car that comes picks you up will not have a driver in it. So we were that this launched during the pandemic and kind of had like a phased rollout, but because it launched in the pandemic, I don't think that many of my counterparts have been able to go and try it. So it was really unique kind of being able to, to get it, to get in one of those Chrysler Pacificas and ride around and just observe and and record everything yeah for for how noteworthy this is the amount of media coverage has been a lot less than you would expect (laughs) yeah yeah i I mean at the time i wrote at the time when they announced that i wrote that this is like a it it is a genuine kind of milestone for the industry especially for for google uh, now alphabet because they've been working on this for forever uh Obviously, again, there the caveats abound. You know, it doesn't go on freeways or highways in the service area. It will route. It will not necessarily always route to take. You know, a difficult. It does take lots of unprotected left turns, and they're very impressive. But sometimes, I certainly noticed it routing a longer way. Mm-hmm. That you know, that that's just a that's a decision that that the their driver software is making out of an abundance of, of caution, I, I, I would assume. Actually, I, I know. And, but yeah, I mean, it, it it was, I was in 10 different vans that just had no one else in them besides me. I was completely alone. Yeah. yeah and, and so the, to, to kind of underline that the noteworthiness, so this, I don't know, are they still the only ones? So they're definitely the first, and, and I think still, still the only experience that you can go and actually get on in a public area and take a fully autonomous shuttle some someplace at full speed. Is, is that accurate? Yeah. I know that there's a couple other places being rolled out. In, like San right. Or- so I've been in a few of these, not Waymo, in a few of these over the years, and they always had a safety driver. Taking the safety driver out is obviously a massive step in terms of kind of one confidence in your technology, but also sort of liability. And, you know, I were, 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 were there something bad to happen? That's obviously a bad, a, a massive PR, mm-hmm. a, you know, massive PR risk. I don't think that, I, I think that, you know, Waymo's made all of those, all of those calculations and they have a level of confidence and reliability within this service area that we're referring to that, that make, makes it make, you know, made it, made it, okay and acceptable and, 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 and everything. But yeah, I think I, you know, it, it's hard to track everything. And I try to, there may be some shuttles around the U S that are in closed loop settings, campus settings, private roads, 
that actually I think there are that do not have a driver. But as far as public roads go and taking payment for the rides, this, yeah, this is the first in the US. And I do think that you will see this in, I think you'll see this in San Francisco pretty soon as well. Yeah. And I, I do, I do think the uh, kind of campus shuttles are like it, between buildings and downtown areas ha, have been up and running or at least mm-hmm. it, it's mm-hmm. pot, but it, there's a big difference between I don't know, going 20, 25 miles an hour on a set path every single day versus, I mean, it's only 50 square miles, which isn't huge, but it's, it's big enough that there's a lot of variabilities and, and routes that yeah, uh, significantly increases the challenge compared to the other options. Right. And in terms of big, my biggest surprises, you know, I came in with a set of expectations and priors and just tested it out to see how, how, how they sized up against reality. The acceleration and sort of the confidence, it's kind of anthropomorphizing like a, a software and hardware stack of technology, but the, you know, the, the level of, of confidence and the acceleration and all of that was one of the biggest surprise surprises to me as long along with the unprotected lefts i would say those were those were the big surprises yeah so it, it feels more like a driver than it would then it feels like a a kind of janky robotic system that is trying to simulate a driver is that fair to say yes and there has been there's been plenty of criticism of kind of maybe early earlier iterations of this this specific driver system that whether it was from you know their early riders or from people from the press or analysts who tried it out or other drivers sharing the road with the waymos in these areas i don't think that those people like those people's opinions and their experiences matter on honestly matter to me and, and have carried much more weight than a lot of the other sort of constituencies, mm-hmm. but longitudinally over time, it's certainly gotten a lot more confident. And, you know, it, I, I, I wouldn't say that it's necessarily approximating or, or kind of mirroring the average human, the average Arizonans driving behavior. Uh, I, don't, I don't know enough about the average Arizona driver behavior to say to say for sure but you you can tell that it has made a lot of progress in terms of just driving normally and if you were someone else on the road maybe a year ago or two years ago you would you would there would be a safety driver and you but you would see the waymo driving a little weird maybe a little slow maybe a little kind of overly cautious and i don't i, I think that a lot of that has dissipated now which is you know, one would think that's a sign of progress. Yeah, and I, I think a uh, a related topic. So the not not the primary uh, kind of value add, but one one of the values of automating connected driving over time is it should make driving more sustainable as well. And that as vehicles are able to predict kind of traffic patterns when they're going to stop, it should be a a smoother experience where they can remove more of more of the kind of sudden stop and goes that that exists. But if I if I remember right from a couple of years back, I had read something that said actually it's there's data that just having a few of these on the road right now is decreasing the sustainability of driving because they're leaving these huge gaps that screw up traffic patterns or stopping suddenly when they're when they're not supposed to. And like that, yeah, there there definitely is you can't understate kind of what, what goes into making it feel like a real human driving experience and how important that is for being on the road with other humans. Yeah, yeah. The bet, I mean, the benefits, like this, the supposed benefits, the purported benefits of having this technology at scale is still a decade or two decades away in terms of like L4 robotaxis. I think, I mean, I think that with, with a couple of years and the way that advanced driver assistance systems in the sort of level two category, level two plus as marketers kind of like to use or even more kind of bold language, Tesla's autopilot, FSD, all that, that they're, they're, those systems are, are, are certainly in, in, in increasing in capabilities pretty rapidly. 
And I think that, you know, those will be, those are productized across much, much wider fleets and cars than than this more advanced technology. But I think that you'll, you'll see the benefits from some aspects of those sooner, but then there's also the issue of sort of over-trusting the technology, letting your guard down when you're still, you know, in control of the car and all of that. So, you know, the, 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 the calculus is, is somewhat messy, but I would say, I mean, I would, I don't even think this is going out on the limb. I would say that net th- those probably net out as positives, especially because they're, you know, it's, it's, it's mainly confined to, to highway driving. And I think that it, it th- those systems are getting better and better and, and more impressive. Yeah, and, and we certainly see the, uh, the the high profile when it goes well. Like I think uh, you said yesterday, and which, which I think is a good point in that. Yeah, a lot of the videos we see, especially coming from these companies or big promoters of the companies, are likely cherry picked from the best examples yeah. of the, of their systems working well. But we also yeah. see on the other side of the, the worst examples of the guy who's got his feet up or sitting in the back seat and fell asleep or just abusing the system. But I don't think that's the the typical driver of these systems. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, yeah, just to, to flesh that out a little bit, it's like, it's certainly kind of a barbell distribution in terms of what's shared online and then even more, more kind of extreme in terms of what goes viral online, of course, because yeah. we're, we're humans. It's the noteworthy it's, stuff. It's, it's unfamiliar kind of black box technology. So I think that that's just sort of natural, rational, uh, not rational, but natural kind of human psychology. Irrational, but, yeah. but yeah, yeah. Just to, to continue it. I think mobile, I just announced that they're testing. They're starting to test a camera only system in New York, which is insanely impressive. I wrote in the newsletter that is obviously as far as us roads are confirmed are, are concerned, that is the final boss mode, but obviously these have safety drivers. They released a, a 40 minute unedited clip of it going through Manhattan and going under a tunnel. And it was all really impressive. But to your point, you know, obviously there are, that was probably cherry picked from a, a wider kind of set of, of recordings and data and everything. And Tesla, the new FSD 11 beta is super impressive. And I don't, I haven't experienced it, but I've watched a lot of, of videos. And I do think that. From some of the videos I've watched, there are people who are testing the technology and who are kind of putting out an honest assessment of where where it does well and where it disengages and where yeah. you know where where they have to take back over control uh, pretty quickly. And there's some pretty kind of I would say concerning footage on that front. But like, I also think that, the moon's a yellow light or yeah 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 exactly yeah. Um, funny stuff yeah Go yeah. Ahead. But, but right, like there, I've actually been happy with kind of the breadth of videos on that front that have been posted, but I've also seen videos that of, of it doing very, very, very well. And of course, you know, for some people, they're going to, they're going to take the best footage. Um, so, yeah. Real quick on the, uh, the mobile, I think. So when you, when you say camera only, what, what do you mean there? So in a similar way to how Tesla and its latest software update is using only cameras for the kind of beta quote unquote, full self-driving. Mobilize pursuing kind of dual tracks of development where they are using a system that only drives with cameras. And then there's no using, radar or LIDAR. Right. And they're using another subsystem that is only driving with radar and LIDAR. And they're just pursuing these dual tracks of development to reach a level of kind of confidence, reliability, and safety that they, they, that they they can then fuse that and if all goes to plan, make that a super, super sturdy kind of level four system. And I've said it before. I think, yeah, exactly. Exactly. It's all about redundancy. I've said it before, but I think that I, I totally think that they are the dark horse in, in all of this. Self-driving is not a race, but it is a, 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 a fiercely kind of contested and competitive field. And I, you know, I'm, I'm not saying it's a race, but I'm, I'm, I'm just saying, I think that they're a, uh, they're, they're, they're one to watch and they can, they're also making a ton of money already selling the, you know, selling the hardware components 
for these more advanced ADAS systems. And they're also, they also make the entire thing white labeled and they sell that as well. And they're gathering all this data just like Tesla, but you know, they, they are also, you know, trying to pursue level four and they, as one of their uh, executives told me a couple months ago, I thought it was a really good way of putting it, but they can basically cash flow that investment. Uh, whereas a lot of the other companies that are just going straight for level four, you know? Yeah. I, I have to imagine like Waymo, for example, I mean, you mentioned they have all the money in the, in the background with Alphabet, but they they have to be losing money. I would assume on a per ride basis with, I mean, you didn't pay a hundred bucks to get in these vehicles, right? I don't know how, how much is a typical ride. Yeah. So I, I actually diligently recorded that every single ride that I would hail Waymo, I would get a quote from Uber and Lyft as well. And on average, again, here I come with the caveats. These, this area, this service area is, is highly suburban and Phoenix metro area has two, uh, two cars per household. So just like in Texas, where I live, where I am, there's not, you know, these, these, this like this state is built around the concept of a personally owned vehicle. Um, public transportation options are not great. And I would say, you know, I only parachuted into these, these, these suburban cities for, for a couple of days. So I want to, I want to, I want to include that, but you know, the, these places are, are areas where people have cars and I don't think Uber and Lyft are as popular in these areas as they would be maybe closer to the kind of downtown core or city city center, even, even though Phoenix is a very, very distributed sprawled out place. Uh, but I did do that. And on average, Waymo's were probably 10% more expensive and, you know, they do not, they Waymo is not going to give any information about what, what, the, what the, the cost basis is for each ride, but I could, could confidently reasonably state, assume that they're losing money. Yes. Yeah. But it I'm wasn't, on, it, it, yeah, yeah. And on average it was about 10% more expensive. So yeah. I would argue competitively priced. Yeah. And I have to imagine that's the way they arrived at that price was on more market basis rather than a, a fundamental, uh, profitability discussion, but yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's still super early, right? They're, they are still, uh, they're, they're still, you know, learning from each one of these rides. And, uh, I, I mean, I don't know anything. I don't have any, any, any inside information, but they are going, you know, they're going to expand this into, into San Francisco soon. I, I think I, you know, like there are other companies that are you know, cruise and, and, and Zooks and everything. So yeah. I, I think, like I said, San Francisco could be the, the next place. That's going to be way more, way, way, way more challenging than, than Phoenix. But yeah, it, it, there, there, it's still, you know, it's still, it is, it is out there. It, the technology exists in a bounded, obviously geofence setting, but it's, it's, it's there and it's real. Yeah, so so I want to make sure to be able to talk about electric vehicles, but I guess real, real quick before transitioning over there, the uh, I guess anything I don't know any predictions you want to make, any anything you think the the public misconception about still with autonomous vehicles, or I mean we didn't talk much about like commercial type applications to pick out all the above. Any any thoughts you want to share? Yeah, yeah, it's a shame. It's a shame that we we didn't focus on that this time around, but. We ran a survey, and I'm not going to get into it, but we ran a survey of a nationally representative group of U.S. adults a few months ago about automated and autonomous driving. And the bottom line, essentially, is just that everyone is still super confused. And there is, an, there is a huge propensity to conflate, you know, a assistance system with a full self-driving system. And that is a very, 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 very hard challenge that especially the plot, the players who are going for fully autonomous driving and want to drive people around, that is a massive challenge for them. They're going to have to spend a lot of money on sort of public education, advocacy, marketing, all of that. And I mean, I think you're already starting to see that with Waymo ditching self-driving for fully autonomous driving, that sort of thing. But I think that based on, you know, trust, confidence levels with the general public and self-driving, 
or autonomous driving, it's, it's, it's still pretty low. And so I think that a lot of these companies, Aurora, for example, is just making its, its first product is, is trucking. And I don't think that that's a terrible idea. And I think you see a lot of companies that thinking long and hard about this. You can just look at Texas. We have a lot of freight that goes through the Texas triangle. We have a lot of, a lot of interstate highway here because it's a big, big place. And there's so many companies that are coming here to test uh, a lot, a lot of trucks on, on the highways and everything, but also within the cities. Uh, you have Argo in Austin, you have Neuro doing its last mile delivery in, in Houston. So basically my prediction would be that it's not a hot take whatsoever, but it's just to not, not sleep on the, the goods transport sector and that, and that being kind of the first go to market that actually works for this technology, as opposed to moving people around. Cause it, it will take a long time for the average American, the average consumer to, to get used to this concept, just as it might've, there might've been a learning curve for using Uber or Lyft, but packages do not care. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, it's not, not as sexy and the, the everyday consumer doesn't necessarily relate to it as well. Cause they're not making purchase decisions about uh, what vehicle shows up at the door or how it shows up. But yeah, I, I tend to agree though. That's the, yeah. the business cases are a yeah. lot stronger. Just, just based on, you know, a lot of the uh, PR sort of messages that I get in my inbox, a lot of these, uh, a lot, a lot of these trucking pure play autonomous trucking companies, and then also the bigger kind of more well-capitalized players such as Waymo and Aurora who are, who have, Waymo has, you know, a, a substantial kind of trucking effort in, in, in VIA, which also kind of spans urban deliveries, but just to, just to isolate the trucking aspect, you just see all these announcements and these partnerships that are announced. And you look at the cap tables of these companies, there are a lot of businesses in the broadly defined logistics space that are clearly thinking and, and kind of suppliers and all like upstream. There are a lot of, of companies that are thinking about this way more than the average, you know, consumer is. Yeah. I mean, if, if they can do something to take some costs out and get a competitive cost advantage yeah. and or more profitability, yeah. it, it goes a long way. Mm-hmm. But so, yeah, I want to want to jump over to uh, to EVs or, or the brighter topic of electrified vehicles. So maybe, maybe I'll, I'll pose this open ended. So we're, we're sitting what a day or two after um, Biden's big announcement of EV targets of 50 percent of vehicles by, by 2030 in the, in the U.S. through his executive order. Um, there is dynamic market out there. And, and I'm just kind of sum, summarizing some of the stuff we talked about yesterday of uh, which, unfortunately, yeah, is, is lost, <laughs> lost forever. But uh, there, there's a lot of big players who are now getting into the ev game there's ev trucking wars where, where do you want to go what's what's the biggest thing on your mind so to to return to our previous conversation i think one thing that again this was not a hard thing to forecast but in terms of the pandemic and the broader meta theme of pulling the future forward i think that applied to electrification and that trend has continued i think that you really see Detroit making a, a concerted effort here and mm-hmm. putting a lot of money to work to, to kind of build out their, their skateboards and their EV trucks and their B2B arms. And all of that is, is continuing apace and maybe even accelerating. I think that as we discussed a little bit yet, uh, yesterday, there is more support with the current administration, certainly, for kind of moving this along quicker. And the the amount of funding that was proposed for EVs and infrastructure and all of that was reduced in this final kind of language of the bill, but there's still a, a decent amount. And then, yeah, the, 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 the executive order, even though it's non-binding and everything, for the for the United States of America, I think 50% market share target by 2030 is pretty, pretty ambitious. Mm-hmm. Maybe not sized up against China or a lot of European con- EU countries, which are going to be, you know, targeting phase outs of petrol engines by then. But 
yeah, it's still, it's still pretty ambitious. A lot can change. You know, the, 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 these next, these next few years are going to be pretty make or break for whether or not we can hit or exceed that target. But there, yeah, I mean, there, there, there are a lot of moving parts. And so it's, it's, it's fascinating to watch. Certainly. Do you think much about kind of the, uh, I don't know, all the startups and how now that the, the bigger players are coming, how, how that's going to shape out if it becomes a, an acquisition game, if it becomes uh multiple winners or lots of winners or if it becomes kind of yeah uh, attrition type game yeah that's something that i mentioned on a lot last podcast just with the the spac environment and the amount of pre-product pre-revenue companies that made it out the gates and there was just so much exuberance and and speculation on these companies and well you know i think it's great for for people to be able to invest in companies at an earlier stage and perhaps share some of that upside. There are a lot of companies that made misleading claims about, you know, future earnings or commercial agreements, or as we saw this week, company to remain nameless, just fraudulent statements. So I think that's, you know, I, I think, I think there certainly will be attrition. I don't even know how much consolidation there will be because some of these companies just aren't going to make it. Um, but they're, I mean, you know, like Rivion, for example, Rivion, they have massive purchase orders and everything. And even though they have to delay their kind of, I think they're, they're, they're delaying the deliveries of their, of their, uh, their, their first models, you know, that that's a company that obviously is probably going to reach production, but yeah, I mean, the, the difficulty of reaching like low volume and then volume production can't be overstated and that's something that obviously that that the that, that the automakers and now Tesla trip to to a certain degree. That's something that they know. Um, the big automakers more so, obviously, because they because because of how many cars they make and how long they've been doing it. But uh, EVs are, are are relative kind of they're, they're terra incognita for 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 a lot of these companies. So these next these next few years of execution will be everything, and they're being. You know, EVs especially are more software defined. They're kind of, I call them rolling supercomputers when you also consider sort of the more, the more um, high fidelity infotainment systems and, and ADAS packages, you know. So they are being hamstrung by the semiconductor shortage, certainly. And I mean, there's just, you know, supply chain challenges abound. So these next few years of execution, I uh, will be kind of key to watch. Yeah. And do you think, so from a uh, consumer, I'd I'd appreciate your your thoughts here from a uh, consumer public perception perspective, I've thought a lot about kind of the, I don't know, you have your your typical hype cycle, right? But, and then also I I think in terms of like, um, I like the the term simplicity on the far side of complexity. So you're first introduced to something like an electric vehicle, you hear, yeah, you're removing the engine. It's not doesn't need as much maintenance. It's, it's so much simpler. Let's just hurry up and get everything rolled out. And then as people start to look behind the curtain, they yeah. uh, you realize, yeah, there's a lot. I mean, something that you just hinted at here, electric an electric vehicles, it's a fundamentally different vehicle. The, the weight profile is completely, vehicle dynamics, completely different. Yeah. It's yeah. part of the vehicle structure. Now you have to look for more places to get weight out of different places, not to mention all the software and controls. And, right. and then you throw right. in the infrastructure everything that goes into it, building these packs, it's there, there's this huge curve of kind of complexity where then I think that's where you often get kind of the, uh, the, the trough of disillusionment or, or right. whatever you call it. Right. Right. I think that someone who is kind of personally or professionally associated with these industries or even, you know, an analyst at arm's length would kind of first order analysis, look at everything and be like, okay, fewer moving parts, uh, lower maintenance uh, costs, you know, no emissions on the vehicle easy, right. Easier to operate over like the full life cycle, all of that. They look at that and they'd be like, okay, it's easier, but uh, there's so many more complexities of course, than initially meets the eye. And there obviously infrastructure is a massive one. Software is a big one. You know, I test drove the Mach-E for a week earlier this year. It's a great car. Uh, I can't definitively say how it stacks up against its Tesla peers because I haven't spent that much time behind the wheel of a Tesla, but the driving experience is good. It doesn't feel subpar, which is impressive for the fact that 
it's their first all electric vehicle, but you can't, you know, you can't, this isn't, this isn't, none of this is happening in a vacuum. Their, their, their software definitely is not as good as, as Tesla's. They stay, they are promising OT over the air software updates, but for now they're not, it's, you have to go to the dealership and the infrastructure is still a challenge. The, 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 the charging was mostly good, but there, there were some issues. So, I mean, they, they have their work cut out for them for sure, but they know, like they know how to make cars that people like. And I think that, I think Ford and GM's strategy of taking beloved, I know it's been somewhat controversial, especially for kind of diehard auto enthusiasts, but I think their strategy of taking kind of pedigreed franchises and converting them into uh, electrified models. I, I think that that's a good way to change consumer preferences to your point. And, you know, the, the lightning, the electric F-150, it is not that expensive. I don't know how they're margin positive on that. They say they are. And the, the specs, you know, with the exception, which is a big, big exception of kind of maybe range compared to like an ICE F-150, the, the, the specs are pretty impressive. So I think that a lot of people who would not be your traditional kind of EV buyer, first time EV buyer in that cohort, may be persuaded on the merits alone. And I think that that's, I mean, I think that that's a good strategy if you're, if you're one of these, if you're, you know, if you're one of the, 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 the big three. Yeah. And I, I think they played it right in that. I don't know. I, I've thought a company like, like Tesla, or even if you want to throw in like even in Rivian uh, or other large town or whoever, who, who's building electric pickup trucks. I, I don't necessarily see those as going after the traditional pickup yeah. truck market. I think of those as more of kind of a, an early adopter EV enthusiast vehicle, but yeah, Ford, it, is close enough to the F-150. And as you said, this, the specs and stuff and also consumer perception, it'll, it'll be interesting to see how many diehard F-150 or Silver, Silverado, Ram truck, whatever people um, transition to an electric F-150 Lightning. Yeah. And the other consideration is just, I don't know the number, maybe one of your readers or your, sorry, your uh, habit, habit of mine to say Some, readers, someone but, listening here. Yeah. 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 Maybe one of your listeners could, could point me in the right direction, but I'd love to know the number of the percentage of cars on us roads that are owned by businesses and it's a substantial number you know maybe half i don't know but maybe over half and that those obviously those fleet managers including the us government can drive they have the power of the person they can you know they can drive huge sort of spending decisions and i think that for a, a car like the lightning like i think that if if you're not kind of doing if you're staying within you know a relatively small area that makes a lot of sense uh and then also you know you see like gm standing up a b2b ev division subsidiary whatever i think that's smart i think that a lot a lot of this ev tech technology lends itself pretty well to things like last mile delivery and that sort of thing and just being you know because you could just plug them in at the at your at your warehouse or you can plug them in overnight, you know, mm-hmm. in, in your, wherever, at your facility. And so that's another thing that I'm watching. It obviously doesn't kind of generate as much hype or get as many headlines just because it's not consumer facing, but it will be an important part of the equation as far as how quickly and, you know, how drastically these companies do actually switch electric. Yeah, for, for sure. And I think similarly on the it's interesting parallel between the autonomous or automated world and the EV world. And that I think these commercial players are going to have a, a huge impact. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, just the B2B side is, is super critical for all of this. Yeah. And I'm, uh, so I think we're get, getting towards, towards time here. Uh, we, uh, yeah, I guess one, one conversation we had, had yesterday, which unfortunately, Adam, maybe, maybe around three, whenever we get around to it, uh, I think really interesting from my own perspective, thinking about how these trends that we're talking about are affecting adjacent industries and off-road mobility. I mean, so anything from warehouse to agriculture, construction, mining, marine, aircraft type applications, there's a lot of work being done for sustainable um, propulsion systems, whether it's hybrid, electric, hydrogen, and then also the the intro to 
introduction of connected and autonomous uh, technologies, which I think would, would be fun to, uh, to dive into it at, at some point. Yeah. 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 I, I, you know, to, to the earlier point of just having to kind of prioritize and, and, and place precedence on certain topics. I think that there, there's so much exciting earlier stage kind of innovation happening in, in these areas in terms of electrifying beyond auto. That's mm-hmm. super exciting. I do think that, you know, the, 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 the kind of non-governmental organization that, that affiliated with shipping, like they have, they have pretty stringent targets for electrifying, like massive container ships. I think that'll be difficult. I think making a, like a, a Boeing, like 787, I think that is going to be difficult to electrify anytime soon, but there are a ton of applications that, that will make sense, especially as kind of uh, energy intensity, like as that improves and cost curves go down. And, you know, there are these, these new, these new kind of battery breakthroughs, like solid state as they come to the fore. And then also, you know, hydrogen, we, we talked about this more yesterday, but I think there, there are, there are applications there in a lot of areas that just couldn't, can't be served with today or even tomorrow's kind of state of the art battery yeah. uh, storage technology that are, are really interesting. One of those is uh, drones. I, you know, we, we haven't talked about drones. I think drones are really interesting. I have my FA like license. And I think for a lot of kind of drone applications, you know, again, this is a B2B, but, but there's a startup working on like hydrogen fuel cell drones and that, that thing could stay in the air for way longer than anything that's powered by a battery. Yeah. And, and so the key things are what, what, so range, as you mentioned, it's the energy density and subsequent weight of the battery packs, and then also charge speeds with anything I'm missing there is kind of the key drivers that would make hydrogen more attractive. Yes. Um, no, no, I, th- I think, I think those are, those are important, obviously price though. That's, yep. that's the, that's the key part of the equation. That's not really there yet. Uh, also, I want to, I want to say, I said energy intensity, um, and it's, it's, it's only 9am here. So it's about that. <laughs> yeah. This is specific energy or energy density, but yeah. And, and also getting hydrogen isn't, especially sustainable hydrogen isn't the easiest thing here. So, yeah. so infrastructure, yeah. there's a, a lot of work to be done there. Yeah. I, I mean, I have a list of kind of breakthrough technologies or whatever to, to watch for and watch progress for, I think like, you know, solid state batteries are on there, like green hydrogen, I think mini nuclear reactors, all that. Uh, I think, I think, you know, we talked about a little bit yesterday, but uh, electrified air mobility, that's on the horizon. There, there are some companies that have prototypes that (laughs) there's some that are literally already public, but you know, I, I think I think that that could work, and that would be a good first kind of killer application for for uh, battery technology as it pertains to the skies. Yeah. And you know that the airlines and like shipping, those are all they 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 have they have they have sizable carbon footprints. So eventually, you know, eventually, like we're going to have to start thinking about that. I mean, I, I sorry that that. There are already people thinking about that, but eventually it's going to become mainstream. And I, and I think part of right. the driving factor might be, I mean, if, if transportation is lumped together in the, the carbon emissions, if the impact of on-road transportation is decreased over time, which it's more, more than likely going to be the case yeah. pretty soon here, then the proportional impact of these other industries, I think are going to catch more of the public per- perception and also yeah. regulatory. Yeah. Eye. Yeah. I mean, I have no qualms whatsoever with taking the low hanging fruit first and, and doing what makes sense with today's technology and today's prices and everything. But yeah, event, I mean, eventually there is going to be that holistic kind of cross sector examination. Yeah. And I guess I can point anyone who's list, who's interested. So I, I just had a podcast interview a couple of weeks ago with Max Liebman or Liebman from uh, H3X, who's developing uh, integrated electric motors and drives for aircraft and somewhat marine applications, which we got into detail about kind of the, the state of the art for regional air mobility and what, what that might be. So that could be an interesting listen. And then on the uh, industrial type uh, mining applications, I had uh, Kimo Rauma from 
Dan Foss and Editron on a few months ago. And I can link to both of these in, in the show notes, but that's an interesting one listening to him on the, uh, the duty cycles and how an electric motor for, for something like a, a stone crushing machine is yeah. far superior to an inter- a diesel internal combustion engine from a torque and performance and uh, efficiency standpoint. Yeah. I just add that those, those sorts of episodes are like the, for me, it's just so information dense. Like I learned so much because, you know, it's focused on, like we're saying, like, you know, all of these trends, electrification, like happening kind of on the margins and, and the quote unquote unsexy places that, you know, it's, it, it, it's, it's, it's worth talking about and it's worth learning about. And, 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 uh, yeah, it just doesn't, it just doesn't get the, the love that it deserves. Maybe, maybe that's the yeah. And I hope to have someone on about, uh, marine applications to dive there deep soon. So if, if anyone, if anyone knows someone who's, uh, in a technology leadership role in one of those companies, I'd, I'd love, to, love to talk to someone. I can, I can, <laughs> I can uh, make that intro for you. Yeah. That'd be great if you could, but cool. So, so uh, Ryan, anything, uh, Again, this is, sorry to record this discussion twice, but uh, anything last thoughts you want to get in? Anything we might have missed? I mean, subscribe. I, I can can't I can't endorse highly enough. And I, I said yesterday, but I'll repeat here. But I, I've I've sent uh, a lot of my friends to Emerging Brew and Morning Morning Brew, and I, I think everyone who has taken me up on it have become uh, fans and uh, advocates themselves because I think what you guys are doing is unique and brings a ton of value to to me personally. So I, I can't recommend it enough. Check yeah. out what, what they're doing. Yeah, I appreciate that. The, the final kind of parting thought would just be to, to flip. To, I, I want to put on the hat that I'm typically wearing, which is interviewer. And I, you know, I just want to hear your thoughts on any of the, the big trends uh, in mobility of the 2020s that we didn't discuss here. Or just you know, from, the, from the perspective, we are at the end of the day. It's an unconventional media company, but we're part of that sort of that that establishment, and it makes a difference what gets covered and what doesn't get covered. So I just want to hear from from your point of view in the trenches. You know, if there's any any areas, uh, any trends, any just massive developments that are being criminally undercovered. Let's say. Yeah, yeah, it's a good it's a good thought. So I think we we've touched on some of it, and I just talked about. Uh, kind of adjacent technologies and aircraft and mining, which, which I think there's, there's a lot of work being done in some of these areas and marine applications. Um, I think we, we touched on some of this, but commercial on-road applications of, uh, I, I think they're those, I mean, on a per vehicle basis have a huge disproportional, um, emissions impact, just, just how big those vehicles are, which there's, there's some coverage, but uh, not necessarily in the public yeah. eye, but I'd say the, the biggest two things for me are just trying to get more people over that hump and help them understand the complexity of both automated driving and electrified vehicles and help them realize that, yeah, just because you're, and the example, yeah, just, just because you're buying a huge vehicle that's electric vehicle, if it's massive with a terrible aerodynamic profile and it's 200 kilowatt hour battery pack, you're not necessarily making the greenest impact. And there's, there's more that goes into it than that. There's, it's understanding where this electricity is coming from. Yeah. It's trying to minimize how much you're moving around. Um, it's, yeah, if, if you have Amazon showing up at your door 10 times a day, it doesn't matter what they're driving. It's not as efficient if they came once a week. Yeah, yeah, but, all, all great points. And, and then, yeah, same thing on the, the automated driving thing. It's, it's understanding that please don't go on your full self-driving Tesla and think that it actually is full self-driving and mm-hmm. get in an accident and kill someone who's uh, innocently driving beside you. Yeah. 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 I mean, there's, there's a lot of, I mean, there's like a lot of nuance and complexity that is lost on the end. I I guess, I I guess I would say consumer because a lot of these technologies are being productized and are being adopted at material levels. And so, yeah, I mean, it, 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 it's, it's, I think it's, I think it's great to point out those, those nuances because they truly do get lost. You know, you, you, you could buy an EV and call it a day, but that isn't necessarily, you know, that's not like a silver bullet for, for, for solving your, your carbon footprint uh, issue. If, if you're, if you're doing some other things in your life or, you know, depending on where you draw your power from and everything. So. 
yeah and, and to speak even further to the kind of the, the value that, it, that i think or from my perception what, what you're bringing so yeah i'm i'm in the trenches as you said in the mobility space trying to sell services and develop these these technologies so obviously i'm thinking about it a lot you're covering it so obviously you're thinking about it a lot but even if someone just wants to be a responsible purchaser and make their own impact in the world in some positive way um it it's worth putting in the effort. And if it's a newsletter that comes and it's five minutes, once every three weeks, you're, you're going to be a lot further along than if you uh, just sit idly and just read headlines and whatever happens to be uh, making the, I don't know, the, the big station news in, in the evenings. I would endorse that. <laughs> yeah. I, I, would, <laughs> I would guess based on the, yeah. Uh, based, yeah. based on the pet and no, no, no further comment. I'm excited to see where you go with uh, your next deep dive and so, stuff and uh, how, how you guys continue to grow as a media company and how that, if it, if it's more uh, deep dive articles or if that expands further, I think, uh, yeah, the, the, the purpose and the execution is, is uh, very well done so far. So I'm, I'm excited to follow along. Awesome. Yeah. On that front, I would just say, uh, keep your eyes peeled. Yep. We'll do. So, so thanks Ryan. Really, really appreciate the, uh, the flexibility here it's it's a lot of fun to talk as always and uh yeah i, I imagine maybe we can throw a dart a, a year from now or whatever for around three yeah yeah thanks for having me brandon is a great conversation cool thanks man. the future mobility podcast is brought to you by fev for more than 40 years fev has been a global leader in the development of mobility solutions for the transportation industry with a team of experts passionate about innovation through the design, development, integration, and validation of turnkey vehicle and propulsion system technologies, FEV is your partner for the development of future mobility solutions. I'm your host, Brandon Bartnick. If you want to learn more or get in contact, share feedback or questions, the best place to find me is on LinkedIn at Brandon Bartnick. Thanks for listening.